Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we no longer talk about Animorphs because we've already done that. But we're not ready to say goodbye to Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant. Turns out they wrote more books. What? Books that we will be reading and casually discussing? You bet. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month as we morph into the Apple Grant Book Club. Alex, hmm. did I tell you that I went and saw Sweeney Todd on no, Broadway this week? You didn't. Yeah, I did yeah. that. Yeah. With How was it? Josh, it was amazing. Uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Annalie Ashford played Mrs. Lovett, and she was phenomenal. Emily Axford? <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> Dimension 20? <laughs> would she be, make a really great Mrs. Lovett, She would though? fucking make an incredible Holy Mrs. Shit. Lovett. Emily Axford is on uh, Dimension 20. Oh, okay. And okay. she's delightful. She is delightful. She's a fantastic D&D player that's known for just fully leaning into whatever bit and just using the rules in the most unhinged ways. Mm-hmm. I love her. She would make a great <laughs> Mrs. Lovett. But, yes. <laughs> She she was not the Mrs. Lovett that that Tim saw on Broadway. Well, the Mrs. Lovett I saw on Broadway was amazing. She was incredible. For for the people listening at home who who aren't in on the bit, I sat next to Alex <laughs> at this. <laughs> she was there as well. I was there. I and saw it, the great. whole thing. Yep, it was a ton of fun. Yeah, I blew Tim's mind. Oh, okay. All right. So, I decided that I was going to buy a Sweeney Todd poster. So, I bought a Sweeney Todd poster, right? I left it in the Uber. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Oh, um, no! Yeah. Right? Right? Yep. It's, it's okay. Yeah, I know. Someone got a free poster. <laughs> yeah. It came in a plastic bag, like, un- unrolled. You know what I'm saying? It was, just came flat. And I was like, man, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? Well, it had one of those tape-sealed tops where you pull the little plastic off and it's got you can, like, seal it. So what Alex did, this was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. She took off the, the like, about three inches of that, that piece of plastic on one side and then about three inches on the other side and then just stuck the whole bag to the seat in front of us. So it just sat there and never moved and never been and never was in anybody's way for the entire play. And I was like, this is the way of the future. Holy shit. This is what people are going to do with their merch for years to come. Damn, that's a it life was, hack. Yeah, it was the smartest thing I've ever seen. Like, people walked in front of us, and and it was never bothered. Fuck Never yeah. bothered, it just sat there. Fuck yeah. I'll do anything to not have to hold something for several hours. <laughs> <laughs> God, I still remember when I went to college to work. I almost said the name of the college. Uh, and then I went to a Mumford and Sons concert, which was on the way home, and I had, like, my two big fucking computer bags of, like, art supplies <laughs> that I just had between my feet while I was watching Mumford and Sons. <laughs> and I was like, I hate this. This was so dumb. So, yes, never carry anything ever. Uh, actually, now that we're going to talk about that, let's just go ahead and bring that up. Uh, so, you ever seen the movie Home Alone 2? 
Have you, have you ever seen this movie where, yeah, Macaulay Culkin is lost in New York by himself because uh, everybody else missed the flight? That was me. Well, okay. Yes. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's exactly right, but then we're going to go with it for the bit. But that was me for about, I don't know, I'm going to say nine hours. Three. It was three. It, it, was, it, was, it was close. To, yeah. Alex and Scott and the two other people that were meeting us in New York all missed their flights. So I was left alone in New York for hours. What did you do? Uh, wandered. Okay. Wandered. Yeah, pretty much. That was it. We ended up walking around the, the Bronx. I did meet up with one person who was already there. But that was after I traveled on my own, which is a big step for me. That seems like an adult thing to do, and I should not be left alone to do it by myself. I would have just probably stayed in the airport the whole time and then just been like, why don't I leave? I can't leave. 100% thought about it. 100 I'm like I could stay here Tom Cruise or Tom Cruise Tom, Tom Hanks Cruise like lived here. in yeah Tom Tom Hanks lived in a airport for like ever in one movie and I think that was even based on a real dude so I'm like I can do it I can survive here for five hours I'll just go build a fire in the in the it, it, like I would go completely Lord of the Flies after like 10 minutes they notoriously be, love it when you build fires in the airport. <laughs> I would be hunting wildlife for food <laughs> Hey, ma'am, give me your dog. <laughs> I take off. Everybody's great. I put my phone in airplane mode. I land. I turn it out of airplane mode. And nope, nobody decided to leave. And it was all because, according to Alex, Scott wanted to check a bag. Yeah. Which leads right back into what you were saying. Never take anything. I take one backpack on these trips. If yeah. it doesn't fit in the backpack, it doesn't go. That's normally... What I do, this is the very first time I have ever tried to check a bag, and it did not go well. It was expensive, <laughs> cost us to miss our flight. There was also, um, there, there was two things that happened. It wasn't just the checked bag. It was also Scott confidently telling us where the terminal we needed to get to was when Scott had zero idea how to get <laughs> to the terminal. We did have to take a train. Did we get that train? No. We definitely walked for a very long time before oh, we came and, to an end mm. where there was nowhere left to go. And we're like, so what now? In that airport? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Y'all. No. Yeah. You know what? I'll go ahead and say it. I won't I won't mention what airport you flew out of, but I'll let the world know that I flew out of Atlanta. And I will guarantee that your airport is not bigger than my airport. Oh no! So. It's it's not bigger. It's it's not connected either. <laughs> and when you're thinking, you're thinking the Atlanta train. You're thinking like I know exactly. They had to take like a little train over there. They had to get on it like the very clearly marked thing, and it goes in a thing and takes you right on it. No, no, no. We had to fucking seek this train out because it's not like <laughs> the Atlanta airport where the trains make sense. You had to go back towards the parking lot to find a train. Did it tell you when it arrived? Of course it didn't. Of course it did not. We stood there for so many minutes. Ugh. I, I do have to say that, that we do have a massive airport, but it is very, very efficiently run. At least it has been every time that I've been in there. Yeah. Because I have always gotten through very quickly, and there's always a mad mass of people there. So Badly designed airports are, like, the worst. Yes. 
They are. And it's it's like, why are we fucking around with buildings where you have to like go through customs and shit? Like these are the worst buildings to make confusing, especially because you know people. Where's where's a building that there will consistently be non-English speakers traveling through mm-hmm. with all of your mm-hmm. English signs? It is a fucking airport. Why are you making it complicated like this? Yeah. That Anyways. still does not answer the, the, the burning question for me is, why did you have to go to the international terminal to fly to New York? I don't know. I yeah. still don't well, know. That that one I cannot wrap my head around. I've, I've seen that, though. Have you? Yeah. There's like a couple of different airlines where they're in the international terminal, even though they're like 99% domestic flights. I don't know. It's all dumb. And you know when that when the airline that we took moved to the international terminal, it moved at the end of May. So every other time I've been to the airport, it was not in the international terminal. Fuck that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of just a a stacking issue on top of issue. I kind of feel like at least in my experience flying the past like year or so, if if that didn't go wrong, something else would have gone wrong because yeah. the airports are so fucked nowadays. I I was on a plane and they base and we had like a two hour delay or something and they basically announced like, hey, you're all gonna miss your connecting flights and I just sat there and I'm like, I should be spiraling right now, but yeah. I'm not because there's <laughs> fucking nothing I can do about yeah. this. And it was like it was like I had the opposite reaction because and everyone else around me was like, ah! and I'm just like. Okay. Dude, that was me when the trailer broke down with the horse inside of it and like the entire transmission melted. And we're on the side of the road. We had called the, the, we had found somebody to pull the trailer, haul the horse to where it needed to go. We had found somebody to tow the truck. I had called the non emergency police number to come like block behind us so nobody rear ended the trailer at 100 miles an hour kind of a thing. And then it was like, there's literally nothing I can do. I have never felt so at peace in my life. <laughs> like I was on a tropical vacation on the beach. Oh my I had God. zero cares in the world. What could I do from there? Nothing. I got to get on that level for all aspects of my life. Cause so, okay. You're driving a truck and that truck has a trailer and that trailer has a horse in a tree in the hole in the hole in the ground sorry so then truck breaks down trailer becomes immobile did you have urge to just go back and get on horse and continue journey on horse because <laughs> that would be my first thought it was a baby that we had literally picked up from a racetrack 15 minutes prior there was no part of my mind that thought this is good idea okay i didn't say oh, anything shit. about good idea but it would be my first idea. <laughs> if it was Pony, I would be on Pony, riding into the sunset, like, without a care in the world. Without a saddle, presumably. Without a saddle. Fuck the bridle. We just attach yeah. some lead ropes onto a halter. She's going to take me home. Fucking Gandalf on Shadow Facts. Just, uh, yep. Do I have control over the speed? No, that doesn't seem to be my problem. <laughs> I just, I would have to, I would hate it. If my mode of transportation failed while I was carrying another mode of transportation. (laughs) (laughs) And like the irony of that. Oh, no. It's like like your car breaks down with a bicycle on the back. Well, now I know what I have to do. 
I mean, yeah, I would absolutely do. I, the other thing is, is like knowing your location. Like we were in downtown Chicago, like, and the way home was like a six lane highway and I had a horse. Like, Dude, you know what though? Okay. So I'm driving on the highway, right? And I'm going and I'm going. And all of a sudden in front of me is this crazy, crazy person riding a horse in the middle of the highway. If you don't think that I would just immediately turn on my flashers and become a police escort for this person. <laughs> I'm like, well, this is what I'm doing with my day. Yeah, I'm going to drive five miles an hour behind this horse the whole time. Hell yeah. I absolutely am. And then I yeah. get to where I'm going. I'm two hours late because I've been police escorting Minimum. a horse. Minimum and I look at everybody late. and I'm like, so I'm late because of, and they're all like, shut up. You're always late. Nobody cares about your excuses anymore. And then you turn on the news behind them to see the <laughs> overhead view of what just occurred with your car there. And you start pointing and everybody goes, shut up. You're, no one cares. And you're like gesturing wildly at the TV and no one will pay attention to you. It's like the boy who cried wolf, only it's the boy who was late. And that's me. <laughs> the boy I am, who cried I horse. am boy. <laughs> the boy who cried horse. Could you put the horse in your car somehow and give the horse a lift? I have a sunroof. Yeah. A horse head stick out of sunroof. Just put the front legs in it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Horse sits on butt <laughs> like person. Yeah. I don't then, think that would work. Alex rides on top. <laughs> like a surfboard. <laughs> Alex, Alex, okay, horse head, horse butt in seat, horse head out sunroof. Mm -hmm. Alex holding mane of horse as if riding horse, mm -hmm. but laid on stomach on roof of car. That seems healthy, safe, and yeah. reasonable. Yeah. It's kind of like riding a Pegasus in Everworld. I think the idea of riding keeping a horse in your car with his head out the sunroof while laying on the back of the car holding his mane driving down the highway is something that would happen in everworld i would be yelling what te to everybody that drove what past te? so i you know what i'm gonna tell the world i'll tell the world do it um i'm gonna be a dragon con i'm gonna have what te bracelets like casey's wearing right now that's yeah. what she just showed us was what I'm, te bracelets i'm modeling so. it for you yeah that you can so, see with your human eyes at this time Everybody should find me at Dragon Con and, and come get a what to eat bracelet from me. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a delight. I can't wait. All right, you guys want me to recap a book? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Jaleel and Christopher were hanging in a Taco Bell, looking over at a girl named Mayuki that Jaleel knew from their advanced calculus class. He was watching her neatly eat a burrito and listening to Christopher wax on about her while he tried to work up the courage to go ask her out. Christopher is, of course, being very dramatic, but surprisingly pleasant for Christopher about the whole thing. Mid-laugh, Christopher's gaze goes middle distance, and Jaleel knows what that means. He's back in Everworld. Ugh, just in case, Jaleel asks, are you still there? And he gets a very cryptic, what does it even matter, man? Jaleel hears a, hey, Christopher, from behind him, and when he looks, he sees some redneck-looking guy approaching the table. Christopher calls him Keith, and it's Creeper Nazi Keith, everybody, who Jaleel does not know is a Nazi, but we know is a Nazi. Uh, this guy just starts being weird, and uh, then he holds out his hand for Jaleel to shake, and Christopher's like, shakes his head like, nah, -uh, dude, don't do it. And then Keith says some shit like, I thought you were that kind of person. Like, weirdly fucking 
accusatory of Jaleel. It's it's all very weird. Uh, and then Jaleel is sucked back into Everworld as well, woken up by a servant opening massive blinds and informing him Athena requests his presence. Right after the tray of food was brought in by a servant, Christopher appears in the doorway, I imagine kicking in the door with a bang. And that's chapter one. I know we've set the bar low for Christopher, mm-hmm. but I did have a little bit of a like happy moment when he's it felt like he was trying to prevent Keith from even interacting with Jaleel at all. Yeah. And I'm like, this is good. This is right direction stuff. Mm-hmm. This is, it's still not maybe the, the best way of handling the situation, which I know he's tough. He's got to worry about like his family and stuff. Like, so he doesn't know what the best way to handle the situation is, but it feels like we're still moving in, moving in that right direction, like better than we would have been, uh, you know, Six books ago. Two books ago. Two books ago. Two books ago. Fucking Keith. And there's still hope. There's still hope before he gets killed at the end of this book. <laughs> well, in book 11 or whatever it is, there's still hope that he can See, turn the corner. Not to jump ahead of myself, but I think David's going to die soon. Oh, you think it's David? See, I know oh. we... Okay. Full disclosure, we slightly started betting on this while in a Broadway theater waiting for Sweeney Todd to play. But I, after getting to the end of the chapters that we did today, which was chapter 12, I think it's David that's going to beef it. Okay, so you have David in the pool. I have Christopher. How are you feeling, Casey? Who do you think? And remember, nobody is an option. Mm -hmm. Or sin is an option. I mean, I still, I could see it being David for sure. I could also see it being David wanting to sacrifice himself and somebody else being like, nah, man. And then David has mad survivor's guilt afterwards mm-hmm. that fucks mm-hmm. him up. But my first square in this is is Christopher. My second square is that three of them are going to die and one of them is going to walk away. They're going to save April. Yeah. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. Is that, but yeah, what do you, do you have a feeling on it yet, Casey, or are you, you going to wait? I, I'm not, I'm not committed to anything Okay. Yet, okay. Abstaining keep... from the vote. <laughs> <laughs> I vote to do nothing. <laughs> King Boomy! I've almost, I've almost to the point where I've drawn the chart and hung it on the wall where we can each like pick a square on who we think is going to, who's going to get it by the end of this book series. I would very much, after after reading uh, the last Michael Grant series that we did, uh, Frontlines, I would very much be interested to go from the book where he killed no one, despite his his what he normally does, uh, <laughs> to this book where he kills multiple people. That would be yeah. very cool. So I I like the idea of it. I feel like it's going to be David. He's going to like go out in a moment of like massive heroism. And he's gonna die, and it's not. It's gonna turn on. It won't matter that his sacrifice okay. was in vain. Okay. Oh, okay. I like you, that. I want you to. I want you to. You could. You could almost repeat that same exact line, except change Christopher's name. Okay. Christopher's gonna that. have his moment where he does the mm, right thing. That's also redemption. Like, yeah, he might do the right thing in the real world. Pop back. At, he might. You know, like let's say he just like. Oh stabs Keith because Keith's about to do something to Jaleel, right? Swallows a bomb. Uh, well, okay, that's a big leap. But, uh, well, actually, it's not really, is it? Um, and he goes back in Everworld and blows up the coup hatch. What the fuck? 
Okay, that was a little different than I... Okay, all right, all right, all right. So not very far from where I was, but like, I'm like, okay, Keith comes up and he looks at Jaleel or or April or somebody and he's like, hey, I'm going to do terrible Keith stuff because I'm terrible Keith. And Christopher's like, no. And then he runs up and stabs terrible Keith, right? And saves the day, right? And then all of a sudden he gets like a bottle to the back of the head because there's another guy, right? So he's laid out. And now that he's laid out in the real world, he pops back into Everworld. And as soon as he pops back into Everworld, there's Loki. And Loki drives a sword right through him in Everworld. And so he's dead in both worlds, even though he did the good thing, like in his his his, his heroic thing. Because his heroic thing would have to be in the real world. Because that's where his his story that matters is to me. But that's that's how that's my theory right now. I think I said this last episode or, or recently, but I still think that the first death in one of the worlds is going to be the thing that informs what happens to you in the other world. Yes. So whether or not you actually, however that transpires, but I do think there's going to be like a perma death. Yeah. And I, it would, hmm, it'd be interesting. Cause like Michael Grant likes to just like kill people for no reason. Not for no reason, but like just kind of <laughs> like that very abrupt, like he's not yes. like standing on the thing, like fighting off all the enemies. And then he, you know, takes a, it's, you know, it's not like a heroic, beautiful death. It's just kind of like, yeah, he got shot and died or like yeah, suddenly yeah, he yeah. was just fucking dead. Like he fell in a hole and died. Like, oh, so I, it's like a I, graceless death almost, which is how death is. Yeah. Sometimes. I hope there's some kind of turn. Like, I hope Christopher doesn't die being as shitty as he is. Wow, that's a weird sentence to say. Um, I hope that there is some sign of him being better than who he has shown to be. And like, you know, if he lives on, like, cool. But I don't see it. He's he's the one. I see him way more going than David. What if they do double, double death? Like those two are like, buddy, we got to do this. We got to make sure Jaleel and April go on because they're the best of us and we're, you know, trash yeah. or whatever. And then they both yeah. be fit and then Jaleel and April go. And then they're like, oh no, now we have to do. What if TPK Senna wins? Fuck. Yeah. What if all four of them just die and then Senna's just standing there like, huh, that worked out just like I planned. <laughs> and then she walks off because and does Senna, Senna stuff. always wins. Because oh. Senna always wins. That's the least likely outcome, I think. No, right I now. feel like this is boosted in likelihood because of the foreshadowing. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to see what happens. Yeah. Damn it. Damn it is correct. Swallows a bomb and blows up in the real world. Oh, she doesn't. Falls switch. asleep in Everworld, blows up Kuhatch. I like it. I don't I don't I don't necessarily think that's how the physics work, but I like it. I'm not sure. The other option is kind of like a that you, that movie where they have to keep up their heart rate, so like he has to fall asleep in the real world and then keep up his heart rate in the ever world, otherwise he'll die. Crank? Sure. <laughs> that was, my brain was like, "Oh yeah, that's the one where they have to go to the center of the earth and like blow up the center of the earth so that the earth will spin again." <laughs> that's not even close. It's not even close to being the same thing. Anyway. It's similar to the one where they're all on the train and they find out they're eating the people. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Snowpiercer. Oh, I hated that movie. 
I was like, there wasn't a train in Soylent Green. Well, now I'm caught up. <laughs> the now other caught cannibalism. Up. The, yeah, the other, other, can- other cannibalism yeah. movie. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> this would be... Okay, sorry, not to pitch another podcast, but uh, this would be a great podcast, and we'd call it A Bridge Too Far, and it's just where you jump movie to movie. Like, you say a thing about a movie, and the other person has to pick an aspect and name another movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like it. Why have we been so cannibal-themed in recent days? A lot of people eating in the media. The media. The the media. It's just that Josh Groban's such a trendsetter. Once he starts eating people, everyone's yeah. doing it. Yeah. We just kept talking about Sapphic Sweeney Todd. <laughs> we willed it into existence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You know, if they do start down the cannibalism route, we can legitimately say, I would call this book a Sapphic Sweeney Todd. Yes, it's true. All right, you guys ready for chapters two and three? Yes. Yes. Okay, I say two and three because the chapter two is just the recap of Everworlds. Uh, we just get the reminders like the Kuhach are wanting to get out of there and off Everworld and that Senna's mom was the lady that was going to allow them to do that. So that's chapter two. So chapter three, there was a meeting held in Athena's library. Scrolls were tucked into cubbies in the wall and it looked like they should have been ancient and covered in dust, but of course they were not because they were brand new here. The meeting consisted of all five of them, Jaleel, Christopher, David, April, and the Kuhatch prisoner, and Athena. And I realize that's more than five, but just roll with it. Uh, Athena was not counted in that because Athena was holding the meeting. It's a technical thing. You get it. They discussed what to do with the Kuhatch and whether or not they could help them and what their real responsibilities were in this situation. The Kuhatch came to Athena and the gods of Olympus because they thought the gods could help them. But even they were not powerful enough to help. The old gods that created Everworld, those were the only ones that could uncreate it, and they were sealed away. The only real hope of helping them was Senna's mom, and they would need to go on quite the journey to find her. And it was decided that they must go and help the Kuhatch for three reasons. One, if they wanted out of Everworld, the gods of Olympus would fall one by one, and Kaanor would continue to rise to power if they did not intervene, and they wanted to get out of there, so they had to go find the old gods. They don't want them to fall. Two, they did hand over the chemistry book that created the canon. So, you know, that has major implications on warfare and how easily they were going to get fucked. <laughs> Three, common human decency. You know, you get it. That's Jaleel's, that chapter. Jaleel's kindness. Jaleel's kindness. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's what it is. I feel like the theme of their books are just never help aliens. But we yeah. don't get yeah. it in Animorphs because there's like the the like one-off good alien species-ish. There's two good aliens ever, and it's Aximilian Elfangor. Mm-hmm. And every other alien is terrible. That's not true. Oh, are you going to start apologizing for the Chi, Tim? No, they're terrible. Um, The Pimelites were great. Uh, I don't the, know that. Uh, the, I forgot the, the Pimelite Chronicles. The gay and delight couple. Uh, oh, Giffinolin Myrtle and Giffinolin. Yeah. Yeah, 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 sorry. Hell they yeah. were fantastic. Okay, there's mm-hmm. four good aliens. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's some good Hork-Bajir, too. Like Jarrah, Hemi, and Kit. Yeah. Hellpack. Kit Hellpack. Okay. They were good. Say his name again. Jeremy. Jeremy. Yeah, Hemi. I've never oh, called him anything other than Jeremy. I That's try to break it way. up because it's the alien way. It's Jarrah is his first name. Hemi is his last name. Jarrah Hemi. It's only been Jeremy for me. Never. I will not fall to this. 
Dak Dakami was that the other one? Dak was uh, Ket Helpak was I think his mate, and then Dak uh, was was uh, the yes yes. Yeah. Now I'm remembering it. Yeah, okay. Wait, the smart one, the super smart one. That was Dak. Yeah, with yeah. Uh, yeah. Who was the the tree one? That, like, all, all of, what? All of them? <laughs> no, the 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 one who could talk to the trees that you got mad at for in the Wait, Beaver thought... book. There's the, the girl <laughs> one. She's like the dot Dak's daughter or some shit. She was like super. Like, no, Jeremy Toby? Dak. Toby. Yeah, Toby. Yeah, Toby. 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 I need to reread yeah. Animorphs. God damn it! I fucking yeah. have a podcast. To- the seer Toby was the, the, yeah, okay, the seer. Yeah. That's right. <sighs> Fuck Toby me. was the mutant. She was the X Men. But, so they say, but then there's plenty of implications that say this was the intelligence level of all Hork-Bajur before the fucking uh, uh, Arn came in and genetically mutated them. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Just reverting back. Yep. Fuck. I forgot. You know what else I forget about? I forget Mm. about the Howlers. And Uh, how love destroyed them. I was listening... (laughs) to Dungeons and Dragon Babes and I didn't realize that it was the Howlers that the Howlers destroyed the Pemelites. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I didn't uh-huh. I thought the Howlers were the ones that they saw when they went to the the the, the Legoland wor- with yeah. the yes. dresser. It's both. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Because Eric comes with them. Then I guess I was just getting confused on it. Okay. Now I remember. No, I don't remember, but now I understand. Let me put it that way. I bet there's so many people like screaming at us right I know, now. It's I like, know. This is I don't know why they would podcast. be. Why don't you bitches remember anything? We are killing it with remembering. <laughs> I am ankle, ankle deep. No, that's not. I am neck deep in Everworld. Yeah. For all of you that say right anything now. about me remembering anything about Animorphs, I have the memory of a goldfish. Yeah. And that was a handful of years ago. And what T.E.? Yeah. I feel like uh, we nailed every single thing that we said here. There was not one name that uh-huh. we had to look up. There was not That's one true. historical aspect no, we, we had to look at. Okay. Hold on. Yeah, I was about to say this whole we thing. I yeah, Alex. I remember nothing, and then Alex just fills in all the gaps for me. This yeah. is what has happened. I had fuzzy details, no specifics. <laughs> I didn't even have fuzzy details. We got there in the end. We're all in this together. So then what happened? Love destroyed the Howlers. Wait, no, sorry. Athena leads them to a stable, ready to see them off on their perilous journey. And as they arrive, they see chariots being pulled by four-horse teams, since no Pegasus or regular horse will bear Senna. Athena breaks her facade for one short moment, hopping into the chariot and calling a war cry like, This is so fucking cool! I love chariots so goddamn much! I wish I could go with you! And then she relinquishes her spot as David says, it's time to go. They climb in and they try to balance on the chariot that they they can't lean too far forward. They can't lean too far back. It's kind of like a skateboard situation. Like if it only, or no, what's, what are the ones with the no. one wheel? Yeah, I was about the to say, that's a one wheeled skateboard. It's a Segway. No, the hoverboard. No, kinda, that's got two wheels. like big wheel foot pedals on each side. You have to like, Oh, lean. yeah. It's a unicycle mm. without a seat. It's a mm. paddleboard unicycle. Oh, I'm going to give you that one only because I can't remember the word for the other thing. But all right, Tim. <laughs> all right. <laughs> the thing that all the kids are riding yeah, on. Yeah, it's the thing all the kids are doing. Get cool. I, I, 
nobody is siding with me now. I've alienated the entire audience by screwing up the Howler thing. They've all given up on me. Okay, well, we only know that the Howlers killed the Pemelites because we saw it in their memory stream, blah, 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 before Jake and Cassie implant the kiss in the memory of love, and that's how the Howlers, which are children, learn about love. And then they stop attacking. None of this has anything to do with Athena, who (laughs) flings open the stable doors and all of the half-feral horses go charging out. David is in the lead, and it isn't long before Jaleel draws up, even with Senna. The horses are hurtling around, and the chariot is going up on the side and becoming airborne as the horses race with each other, heeding nothing. As they go onward, they become free of the marble city and race down a giant hill into rough terrain, so rough it's vibrating the carts, and Jaleel is holding on for dear life. Hetwan stream out in front of them, and the horses are so out of control, they just kind of crash through them. It's not a problem at all. The vibrations get so intense that one bump knocks Jaleel out, and he comes into the hall at school talking to Miyuki. He swears and drops his books. Dude, this chapter was amazing, because it's like, <laughs> you always look and you think, oh, riding on a chariot, it's going to be fine. But no, the way that like it's described is like being so like hard to yeah to like balance on and so uneven and Jaleel's just getting like the shit beaten out of him like just and the horses are crazy and there's no like traction or or like restraints or anything it was I loved it it was and once again Catherine and Michael take this thing where it's like oh this looks easy and cool and they're like no this is the grim reality of what it is (laughs) fuck you I do wonder how many wheels does this chariot have because if it's two I'm gonna say that's bad design yeah, I, we should go with the three-wheel design, I feel. The, the triceus? Like yes. Chariot-sickle? <laughs> no, it's got to be a tri-, tri... Yeah, try and make try a word, it. Alex. The triptych. The triptych. Trip- triptych's pretty good. Tri- triptych is a word for a different thing. It's they Words can have different meanings. Archaeopteryx. Archaeopteryx. We literally learn later in this book why we can't have two words that sound exactly the same, guys. We literally learn that in this book. Damn it. I can't believe the space because I don't remember. I know, I neither do I. I was, <laughs> my, my memory has failed me again. I was like, Alex is going to tell me that the Howlers show up in a couple of chapters and be like, I don't <laughs> do. remember that yeah, at all. They do, because it's Everworld. Yep, the Howlers show up and they just start tearing through. There was another alien species that they described as having like blue eyes. And I was like, oh, just more Howlers. (laughs) It's always Howlers. It's always fucking Robin's Egg blue eyes. Why do we keep doing this to our aliens, guys? (laughs) They They like multiple arms as well. Yeah. Yeah, and they're weird like spinny torsos. They're, yeah. um, Yeah. What do you call those things? Turntable. Turn turntable? Is it Lazy Susan? Lazy Susan. I was like, oh. I thought it was a woman yeah, that we were no. disparaging, but <laughs> yeah. One hundred percent not the hand gesture you just did. You just did turntables. That's what that is. It's true, I did do turntables. Yeah. Yep. But what Nobody I meant was lazy Susan. But if you get nope. two lazy Susans, you can do that. <laughs> Make your own noises. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So uh, another neat little tidbit from New York. Uh, as we're walking through the city, there's a lot of people riding bikes. And if you ever find yourself walking through a city with a lot of bikes, it's really great walking with Alex because she will add sound effects to the bikes every time they go past you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
And it's really even like, it's so much better when you get a guy going slowly on a bike past you because he still gets sound effects. <laughs> Just really oh. long, slow sound effects. <laughs> Did you pick up a pigeon? I oh, man, almost... She came dangerously close. And then I was told to stop. Yeah. Oh. By who? The cops? <laughs> Scott. Pigeon cops. Oh, Scott. He's Worse like, no, than the no cops. more goddamn birds. Did you guys go see Balto or no? We did not. Next time. I don't think we even made it close. What is... I thought Balto was an animated movie. Have, have you seen it? The animated movie? Yeah. I have not. So in the beginning, the grandma and the granddaughter are in Central Park and they're trying to find Balto and they can't find Balto. So they sit on a bench and then she tells the story of Balto and it turns animated. And then at the end, they find Balto in Central Park. He Balto's there. He's there. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh. Every time I go to Manhattan, I go, I go and I hang out with Balto. You know what we did go see? Hmm. The Ghostbusters firehouse. Oh. We did get a picture of me and Scott standing in front of the Ghostbusters <laughs> firehouse. We did. We did. Mm-hmm. And then Tim sent me a baffling picture of a TV on a floor <laughs> with part of the Ghostbusters house. And I think Tim wanted me to be excited. Like, we just saw that. And instead, I was like, what's this TV doing on the floor, Tim? Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you a lot of questions about this TV setup you have going on. You'll regret sending it to me with all the banal questions I have. Banal? Banal questions. Is it banal? Is it? Nope. No. Nope. I was trying to convince Alex that it was pronounced Canal when we were oh, on Canal Street. You did. And then we went on the train and we went past Canal Street. And I said, Tim, what's the name of the street? And he wouldn't say it in front of a man because he is a coward. I was like, this is a between us joke. I was this like, is this is a, a public, public joke, joke for everyone on the train. <laughs> Got him. Oh my god. The look of desperation that Tim gave me in that moment. <laughs> Please don't make me do this. Oh, that's delightful. Crying. Crying. <laughs> Alright. Shall I shall I jump into another chapter? Alright. Julio wakes up again and the Hetwan village is behind them. He's been out for about five minutes and he contemplates the weird time lapse that just occurred. The horses at this point have slowed to a normal pace, and after looking around at how banged up they all are, the kids begin to debate not doing this anymore. As they were discussing walking, one of the horses pipes up how Athena herself tasked the horses with delivering them, and David, trying to act like this happens every goddamn day, points out, that's my horse that's talking. Under further interrogation, the horses say no more. <laughs> so the kids are like, well, let's just go with it. What's he? Eventually, the horses do take pity on them and are like, all right, we're almost there. Like, these horses don't want to talk, but every time they have the chance to talk when people don't expect them to, they're like, let me get a word in here. <laughs> uh, Jaleel catches April looking back at Olympus, and so they start discussing the food and the drinks and the clean clothes. And April's like, it just felt like the most home anywhere in Everworld ever has. And Jaleel's like, oh, you're becoming like a real Everworldian. And April's like, how fucking dare you? That's that chapter. Okay, so you talk about... talk. It, I don't know why this made me think of it. Uh, so the funniest joke that I've ever heard in my life was... I think I've talked about it on this podcast before. If I haven't, it was on another one. But it was at the end of Hadestown. 
right? And if you know how Hades Towns ends, then you'll get the joke. If not, then you won't. Um, so we're walking out of Hades Town, and Jenna's following me, and I turn around to look and see if Jenna's behind me. And she just looks at me and says, Have you learned nothing? <laughs> right? Okay. Funniest joke I've ever heard in my life, right? Uh, and again, if you don't get that joke, go watch Hades Town, and you'll get it. It's the funniest joke ever, right? Wonderful. So we're walking out of Sweeney Todd, right? And so I cut across some seats, and I realize that I've become separated from Alex, who is now halfway across the theater. And so I turn around to see where Alex is, and she screams across the theater, Have you learned nothing? <laughs> and it killed me. Killed me. I feel like my specialty is taking Jenna's very intelligent, well-crafted jokes and saying them in inappropriate times for a different comedic effect. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh man. We're creating like a web. Yeah. Of bits. Yeah. Chaos of bits. I imagine that's what a group of bits is called. It's it is. Yeah. Chaos. It's a chaos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I really need to work on volume control in the theater. <laughs> no, it was perfect. It was perfect. That joke was not wasted on any patron in that theater. <laughs> Everybody could hear it. They could. You think Josh Groban can project? He is no match for me. <laughs> I like I like how we were talking the other day about Sweeney Todd, and you were like, "Oh my God, Mrs. Lowe was so amazing." Josh Groban was fine. <laughs> I was like, "Holy <laughs> shit! What a thing to say!" It was oh. true. He was fine. <laughs> she destroyed me. She just kept her her timing was so good <sighs> with the seagull bit. She carried the, okay. Can I ruin some yes. of the show? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Casey, who I have forced to watch every version of Sweeney Todd with me ever. Like two. You know, well, there's only two. I, I didn't say it was a lot. I just said I had. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Wasn't there like a Sweeney Todd in concert? It wasn't like the full show. It was just like, whatever. Anyway, go on. Maybe. Okay. Anyways, you know how like in the song uh, By the Sea... Mm-hmm. Where Mrs. Love is singing, and every time she does the seagull noises, she does like mm-hmm. the really like nice like. Yeah. Yeah. So in this show, she made the choice to every time she'd be singing beautifully, and then she'd get to that line about the seagulls, and she'd go ah, ah, like insanely loud, and do it like a chomping a big hand chomping motion. Hand. It was <laughs> delightful. God, it tore me up. It was oh, so, so funny. Good. She like she carried the show. Yeah. Like before it's like Mrs. Lovett is comedic, but she's kind of comedic in the way that like she's very horny for Sweeney Todd and maybe a little spacey. Yeah. This one she was calculating and a comedic genius that was clearly yeah. running everything. It was amazing. amazing. Oh, oh, oh. Oh d- okay. So all the all the all the bits that made us bust. In, in the original Sweeney Todd, where they were like, it's not a gate. There's no gate. You don't have a gate. Did they do any, any of that they shit? They did. Holy they shit. Super did. Fuck it yeah. was so good. This is a very strange episode in which we just talk about Sweeney Todd Everworld. <laughs> Sweeney Todd Everworld. <laughs>
It's almost like we go to sleep in Everworld and wake up in Sweeney Todd. <laughs> it's exactly like that. No place like Everworld. <laughs> that song works very well for Everworld. <laughs> with the Sweeney Todd version. Like in the, the world of the great Everworld of the wild inhabitant. And it goes by the name of Everworld. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Let's get back to it. The kids pass into a hotter, drier landscape, and Jaleel is personally affronted that the environments in Everworld change so quickly. And April's like, well, it's really just a quilt of landscape. And she is exactly right. Everything quilted everywhere. And Jaleel is like, this is so illogical. I hate it so much. And they now appear to be in Africa. And David's like, so Jaleel, what's up with Africa? Not because you're black, just because you're smart. And Christopher's just... Being Christopher. Uh, anyways, they spot a pride of lions, but luckily the lions are downwind of, or nope, they are downwind of the lions. So they stay moving and in an arc to avoid them and to avoid letting their scent get to these predators. A new pathway leads them through grass that grows taller and taller until they're in this thicket and they realize just how easy prey they are. And then nothing's funny. Jaleel is startled when a man suddenly appears in front of him, seemingly out of thin air. This man has dark skin and a loincloth, and he's this, like, weathered... They call him, like, a beef jerky stick of a man. Like an old, shriveled dude. And Jaleel stares at him, but refuses to be the one to talk. And everybody else is waiting for him to talk. And he's like, just because we have the same skin color doesn't mean I'm going to be the dude to talk to this guy. So David finally gets it, and he, and he says, hello, where are we? And the man doesn't respond. And Senna gets pissed and is like, what is your name? And he finally responds and he says, it's Ushu. And then he tells them that they must pay the respects to pass this land. And he says it out loud to everyone. But Jaleel is like, this dude is talking to me. And he repeats that they need to respect the land. And then he says, the lions are coming. And they have enough time to go, what? Before this tawny cannonball is firing across the plains at them. And the lioness tackles Jaleel to the ground. That's that chapter. Yeah, I need you to get to the next part. Oh, oh, sorry. Okay, I'm on it. So Jaleel yeah. wakes up with the night sky above him. The black sky is splattered with diamond stars. It is beautiful. And as he looks down at his body, it is mostly gone. There's a concave depression where his chest used to be, and he watches as this lion tears this red twitching muscle off of his thigh and eats it. And he could feel the tugs and the pulls and the snaps as different parts of his body are stripped away and eaten. But he does not feel pain. He starts to panic and he wants to yell for help, but he stops himself. The logical part of his brain overriding the emotional part of his brain. And he starts thinking it through. He's like, this has to be an illusion. The male lion closes his mouth with giant tearing teeth over Jaleel's face and the flesh is torn away. And Jaleel spits out, this isn't real through this like gurgling, missing jaw. And the lion talks back saying, why don't you think this is real? And it's in your mind. So it's probably as real as anything else because doesn't the world take place in your mind? And Jaleel pictures his oatmeal brain spilling out of his skull as he comes up with another plan. And he pulls out his hatch blade and he flips it and slices it into the lion. And nothing happens. Because it is nothing but air. The illusion drops and he wakes up with April telling him to watch the blade because he's whipping it around. And the others have seen nothing. And then Ushu slingshots a rock at the lion, scares it off. And Jaleel doesn't believe for a second that this should have been something that scared that predator off. And sure enough, in a moment, it's only Senna and Jaleel that see Ushu's wicked grin. At some point during that chapter, I 
audibly yelled out, Jesus, Michael Grant. Because that was my feeling when I was reading the the very graphic depiction of Jaleel getting eaten from the end, like, like his insides becoming his outsides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, dial it back a little, buddy. Yikes. No, go harder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't Berserker supposed to be, like, way worse, though? Uh, Berserker yeah. has, like... It has moments. It definitely has moments. Okay. I'm just... But Messenger of Fear, I think, is still the one. Like, I don't know if it's the most graphic, Michael Grant, but it's the one that got to me the most if it's not. Mm. Like, it's the one where the people are put in the worst situations that I've read so far. I haven't read Frontline, so I don't know if that one... But Messenger of Fear, those two books... I forget what the second one's called off the top of my head now. But uh, because I forget everything, because that's who I am as a person. I'm late and I forget shit. Um, the opposite so, of I drink and I know things. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, uh, but, yeah, uh, that's the one where it's it's been the most, like, like I felt weird when I got done reading it. Mm. I was like, what have I just been through? I'm so excited for the like from everything that I've heard from Jeff about those books and from everything you've told me about those books, I am so fucking excited to get to Berserk. And I know we're talking years at this point. <laughs> but I'm still excited. Oh man. I I can't wait for Messenger of Fear. That's the one I want y'all to read. After you read Gone. Yeah. Gone first. Yeah. Because Shit. I need to set aside like three years of my life while y'all read Gone. This is our 10-year plan at this okay. point. <laughs> Somebody told me that Remnants, Remnants is not completely finished. Like yeah, neither is Everworld. Really? Like, it, it ends. So what I've heard about Everworld is that it ends, but it was, like, it was because of a crunch in the timeline and not, um, it wasn't picking up in popularity, so it has a very rushed uh, ending. Like, they had to oh, sh- okay. squeeze everything in real fast. Gotcha. Is that the same thing that happened with Remnants? Because they made it sound like it was just dropped off. Yeah, I feel like Remnants was just, like, sheared off kind of where yeah. it stood. Okay. I'll be interested to read Remnants, too. I have all the Remnants books waiting for y'all to read it. I'll read along. Gone, I've already read, so I've got, like, a five-year head start on you. But... I've read the first one, so you only have, like, a four-year head start on me. <laughs> Damn. You got a five-year head start on me, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hallucination power. Okay, yeah. how powerful do we really think this guy is based on what we've read thus far? All all powerful? Well, okay, that so might be overstating a little a lot. Once you figure out his trick though, it's like all right, I got your number. Yeah. And Jaleel like is really good at at figuring out people's tricks like with Sana and stuff. He's some kind of of deity. So he's got to be some kind of powerful. Let me state so. it this way. I take him as some conjurer of cheap tricks. <laughs> <laughs> So he's like Aldi brand Gandalf? He's, so. yeah. <laughs> Walgreens <Brand>. level Gandalf. <laughs> Aldolf. You have to go get him yourself off the shelf. <laughs> How we save money. Uh, no, uh, I have no idea how powerful the, he actually is. Um, Unless. More powerful Unless. than Senna. That's where I'll mark it. Really? I think he, I think he takes in in a fight, a magic fight. Maybe he's like 
I'm powerful. And then once you figure out his tricks, he's like, oh, no, you bested me. And then he comes back later with, just kidding. I am yeah. you know, super powerful. I don't know. I don't know. I super got the vibe that he was just going to, like, fuck off. (laughs) Well, no, because I think he's probably, like, he sort of, like, painted himself as being the, like, the guy who's just kind of, like, there are bigger people in charge, and he's just the guy that you meet when you come in the place. But I I bet he probably is the bigger people in charge. He did mention he was one of um, the yeah, the gods yeah. that of this area. I don't know. I don't know. No say nada. No say nada. All right. Should we talk more about Ishu? Yeah. Okay. So they follow Ishu through Africa, and he leads them past towns and animals. This is not modern Africa with tourists and suburban families who paid to see wild animals. This is an older Africa with like slave trade. You know, older Africa. They walked on spread out from each other a little bit, and Jaleel held back to talk to Senna. And he was like, what's up with this guy? Who's this guy? And Senna's like, oh, great, you notice. I don't fucking know. Uh, She only knew that she had felt his power wrap around Jaleel, and uh, she didn't really know what had happened. She had to ask about what his dream was and what he saw and all that jazz. And um, then they continue on. They just continue walking and talking under this crazy blazing sun, and April gets burnt to a crisp because she is a red-headed, pale-skinned child. Ishu leads them towards a stream to refill their now-empty water skeins that Athena had given them, and when they arrive, Senna points out to Jaleel that the Kuhatch are still following them, and have been following them. And Jaleel's like, holy fuck, and David's like, oh yeah, man, we saw that. Sorry, guess we didn't tell you that. And Jaleel's like, why are you apologizing to me? Now I can't be mad at you for being a fucking idiot, which is a weird reaction from Jaleel, but, like, whatever. So, anyways, uh, it's fine. They watch Ishu again, and sure enough, when April falls asleep, the expression on her face is not restful. It is pained and horrified, and Jaleel looks at Senna, and they both do, like, this double take to Ishu, and they see that he's doing it again, and so they shake April awake, and she comes to screaming, and they're like, hey, man, what are you doing to us? And he's like, don't be mad at me. I'm the messenger that chapter just a lot of walking and talking really yeah all right shall we jump to the next one yeah okay jaleel asks april what was your dream about she's like i was being burned alive by the sun with my skin blistering and my hair burning away and my eyeballs boiling in the sockets and jaleel's like oh shit my dream is getting eaten by a lion and they're like okay who is this issue dude they keep walking because again this is very lord of the rings kind of moment here we're looking for a mountain we just got to walk there it's fine they they see a mountain in the distance that's how lord of the rings were going but there is also a dense jungle which is not lord of the rings like they came to a stream where they're like let's rest here and like you know chill for a minute and they take up this nice relaxing conversation for jaleel about the possibility of germs in everworld and if they existed there so jaleel is of course completely comfortable with this and thinks this is a great conversation to have a chill out moment to And he starts mentioning about, like, oh, potentially, we brought germs with us. And that could spell the end of the native inhabitants of Everworld. I swear this is foreshadowing, and that's why it's mentioned here, even though it doesn't come up again in the part that we've read. And uh, whatever. It's fine. They're like, I wonder if the inhabitants of Everworld are different from the real world and that they won't be affected by these germs. All of this is interrupted by David calling out, because up the river, there's this little girl standing in water. 
And so they all gather around, and April begins talking to this lost little child. And she's like, what's your name? Where are your parents? And she's like, my name is Elegbara, and my parents were chased away by the bad spirits. And this short debate ensues about what does she mean by bad spirits? She, she means just like regular, normal, like spooky shit? And they're like, no, this is Everworld. They mean actual bad spirits. It's horrible. And then Elegbara starts going off like, if only my parents had paid the respects, then the bad spirits wouldn't have chased them away. And Jaleel's like, this is a really long speech for a child as small as you possibly because you're no little girl and like sure enough this little girl starts laughing this high-pitched little girl laugh and then it turns into this old man as they shapeshift back into Ishu and David pulls out his sword and he's like I've had enough and Ishu's like do you intend to banish me from my own lands and David's like yes and so Ishu just leaves them he's like okay I'm walking away but you're gonna have to sacrifice and pay respects so get it together and then he shapeshifts back into the little girl and then a moment later this giant demon skeleton hand guy starts attacking them and the giant spiders and they start wrapping them up using the webbing to suspend them in trees and Jaleel can see April and Senna struggling to get loose from this webbing and he knows their illusions from Ishu but this time Ishu is not holding back he's coming at them with the intent to kill so the spider opens its mouth over Jaleel and vomits this horrible sticky goo right into his face and it's blocking his nose and his eyes and he's trying to spit it out but there's so much that he just can't and then another smell hits his nostrils smoke the tree is on fire the okay tree. I, the tree I, uh, the tree is on fire <laughs> <laughs> i have a couple of thoughts here yeah one the idea of them introducing germs would also only be relevant if they had a physical form in Everworld, which I'm not convinced that they mm. do. Mm-hmm. So that's my take on that. My other thought is, if I met Ishu, I know exactly what fear he would put in my brain. Uh, we have already in this podcast talked about how I am not a fan of flying. Mm-hmm. We have... Uh, possibly at some point talked about my irrational fear that comes with it which is stupid i know it's stupid in my front brain i know it's stupid my back brain still convinced that it's going to happen to me one day um so they build a plane right Mm -hmm. they build a plane with a hole in the bottom and they're like doggone it we left a hole in the bottom and it's like that's right where a seat goes what are we going to do and some other guy's like I don't know, just put a piece of metal over it. So they just put a piece of metal over it on the outside, and then they put a seat on top of that piece of metal. And then years later, Delta sells me that seat, right? And then I get to 30,000 feet in the air, and that's when that piece of metal that they put there that's holding my seat up lets go, and I fall out the bottom of the plane. Mm -hmm. Now, I will not die from hitting the ground. I will die of sheer terror long before I ever hit the ground uh, from just falling in the sky. Cause, but this is what Ishu would do. I don't know. I don't know how he would do that. I don't know how he'd put that in my brain. I don't know how I'd fall into the sky straight off the ground. But this is the, this is the, the way that he would get in my brain. And I'd have to be like, this is not real. This is not real. And I'd pull out my pocket knife and I'd start swinging it. No, none of that would happen. I would totally buy into it that it has just happened to me. And it would end me. Casey, go. I was just going to say, swinging your pocket knife around would not dispel the illusion. You'd just be in the air swinging your pocket knife. Anyway, go, Alex. Yeah. So 
what you are positing here, though, is that this man could read your mind to find your greatest fears. And that's not what he's doing in here. Because Jaleel's greatest fear is not being eaten by a lion, and April's isn't being burned and boiled alive by the sun. This is true. He can't read your mind. So he just took immediate threats? Yeah, he just took, like, things that Mm -hmm. were happening in the environment and, like, introduced them further into, like, here's the worst-case scenario of what's happened. (laughs) What does it say about me that my first thought is, ah, this is the evil that Ishu would put upon me? It is this fear that I have that is so irrational and so just ridiculous. I think it's because you've bought into he is a powerful god, and I have not bought into that narrative yet. I think he's an unpowerful god. Unpowerful god. He is but a man. Uh, That's the the title. That's the name of my novel. Unpowerful God. Your biography that you're writing. Yeah. You're gonna kill us off. <laughs> it honestly sounds like an amazing devil song. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love the amazing devil. Oh, okay. Okay. So this is a this is a thing. A band, yeah. I just thought you meant it was an amazing song from the devil. This is an amazing song from the devil. Yeah, the, I've taken a very religious turn today. The devil's new track is it slaps. <laughs> the, nev- the devil's new track is unpowerful, God, and it's almost as good as when he went down to Georgia. I was, I was, <laughs> it's a tribute to the song that he played, right? But it's, it's not the greatest song in the world, right? <laughs> Man, I'm proud of that one. We did we did that one good because it's yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> it's a solid B plus work right there. <laughs> so okay, okay, all right. There's there's powerful God, and then there's less powerful God. Unpowerful God is just a dude, right? Like yep, <laughs> like like. But like, un unpowerful God could not make you think you're getting eaten by a lion. I think you could. Right? Cause like it's an illusion. Yeah, like I imagine, like even a hypnotist, yeah, is not completely unpowerful on the god scale. Cause he could do something to your brain. He's got like you know point oh one percent. Well, anybody can do stuff to your brain. That's true. That's so, true. Unpowerful. So like god. unpowerful. No, I'm like unpowerful. God is like even below mm-hmm. them. Even like if a guy comes and he sticks the little needle by your eye, like the transorbital lobotomy thing, like into your brain, he's already above unpowerful God. Maybe he's just tapping into the, like, the primal fear part of the brain. And, like, he's, like, the the people are doing the thing. Like, mm-hmm. that could he's, be. He's just, po- yeah, like, he's just poking the little thing, the little lizard brain, and the kids are filling in what happens. Based on the threats around them. Do you know do you know what that, that sounds like? Huh. Dreams. Do you know what that sounds like? Huh. Oh, dreams. All right, dreams. we're gonna have to unpack that in a minute. But no, what what that sounds like was the exact same conversation that we had about Loki in like book one or two, where we were talking about how like, you know, David didn't like Oh you remember he didn't like he didn't pee. 
Oh, that was he, Loki making. Yeah, it was like Loki, Loki making him like hit, just po- poking in the. But the Loki's lizard more brain. powerful because he can hit the physical aspects. You're just really trying to undersell this issue, guys. What it is? Loki could make you pee. This guy couldn't even cause pain in their <laughs> illusions. I think Loki is way more powerful than Ishu. He can make you pee. He can make you pee. That's way more powerful. If you can control my bladder, you are light years ahead of Ishu, who can who can only control my dreams. But what? But pain, pain is just your brain. Pain right. is your brain. Right. It's he can't. Signals. He can't even tap into that. Pain is your brain. Pain is your this brain. Is your, pa- is your brain on pain. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. 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 Unless, unless Loki did the brain tapping thing. Wait. How, how does how does Loki make you make you pee? Because he can control your organs. But like, hey. I thought I thought peeing because you're scared isn't like that's your your body reacting to the thing. So like it's not Loki doing it; it's Loki being like scary thing, and your body going fight or flight must void. Okay, so my thought in this this <laughs> what pe uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, my thought what in this physical was that education <laughs> was that was that David never did pee, but but later it was Christopher a pee illusion. Point- no, no, no! But later, Christopher is, like makes some joke about David p- pissing his pants. So yeah, I think he okay. did piss his pants. Okay, I but, don't know. I still feel like Loki, like, like did something, like he prodded yeah. that or something. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He. I mean, this guy could like they could both be like trickster gods, or this guy could be Loki, or Loki could be this guy, or or. That's I don't also know. true. Loki's could be. There's Sona. one trickster god. <gasps> There's one trickster god with a lot of different faces. Yeah. Unlimited. Unlimited. What if Loki's just been following them the whole time? Yeah. He's just been everywhere. He's like, I don't even need to find Senna. I'm traveling with Senna. I just thought it was funnier if I did this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just going to fuck with them. Stupid kids. Next part. All right. There is fire all around and it's choking out Jaleel and hence as he's wishing for it all to end, the demon spider guys dance around and scream and laugh and then blades swoosh in and begin cutting through the cables tying the kids to the trees. As one slices down so precisely in front of him that neither his skin nor shirt was touched, he realizes it's the Kuhatch. They cut them down and he falls to the ground and then helps April who's like near him struggling through this thread and then Christopher and then they all look up and David has liberated himself and he goes marching up to the demonic party circle to confront Ishu at the center. He's like, hey man, what the fuck are you doing? Christopher's like, yeah, what are you doing? So he grabs a spear and goes up there and then Christopher throws his, like Christopher just goes full nuts right now. He throws the spear at Ishu and Ishu just plucks it out of his body like, nothing there's no mark there and that chills them all out a bit david doesn't try to use the sword at this point because he's like this will be ineffective after that brief stall david begins to ask what do we need to sacrifice to appease this god and april and jaleel are both like no at the same time and then are surprised that they're in agreement april's like i refuse to pray to a false idol and jaleel is like i just like freedom and then senna's like all right there's three out of five of us willing to sacrifice to this god that you're mentioning here. So, like, what can we do with that? And Ishu's like, well, 
Maybe you should start off by not speaking ill of the gods and not saying anything mean about the gods. And David then does a switcheroonie. He's like, hey, I'm an American. Nobody tells me what to say. I have the fucking freedom of speech, motherfucker. And then Christopher's like, well, I can't agree with Senna and be the only one agreeing with Senna because she's always wrong. And so he switches sides. So now none of them are going to sacrifice except Senna. So Senna loses her shit and just starts swearing at all of them. And is like, you're all fucking morons. And once she stops... David makes this impassioned speech about being an American and he bows to no one. And it's patriotic. There are eagle screams. There are fireworks. There's probably a stovepipe hat. Doesn't mention that specifically, but like, this is America, motherfucker. And uh, Jaleel's like, huh, looks like he's not under Senna's spell anymore. And Ishu walks away shaking his head. And then they all just continue to walk on. So they're like, fuck it, we still have to get to Egypt. And Senna follows at an out of lightning bolt range distance. This is where I relate entirely too much because like we could be having this 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 conversation like, you know, this is what you need to do. I'll be like, or you know, this is what would be good. Okay. This is what would be helpful in this situation. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. This is not a problem. This is the thing that's most logical, right? All right, cool. And now this is the part that you have to do. And it's like I slam my stake into the ground. And I'm like, don't tell me what to do. I get all American. I'm an American. You you don't control me. I'm like, oh, that's that's too relatable. I'm not part of this system. Yeah. (laughs) Here's all the stuff that makes the most sense. And I'm like, cool, it makes the most sense. Now do this. Don't you tell me what to do. David was two seconds away from taking Excalibur, no, not Excalibur, the sword that he got from uh, What's-His-Face and, like, yeah, running yeah. in going, like, 1776, motherfuckers! Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I would have I yeehawed if that had happened in the book. I would have. I'd have been like, woo! I'm disappointed, though, that they cut out all of Senna's swearing, but they, like... They were like, nope, this impassioned America speech has to stay. I'm like, what about the cussing them out part, though? <laughs> you guys want to keep going? Yep. It's a race to the end. It's it's harder to stop and goof when, like, all of the chapters are just building tension at this yeah. point. All right. As they walked on, nothing happened. Fear crept in, but no lightning shoots down, no hurricanes, no lions. And then as night falls, they decide they need to make camp. They find space alongside the jungle and begin to gather supplies. April and Jaleel head out into the woods. Obviously, they go together since they had condemned them to their fate together, so clearly they have to stick together. They start gathering sticks and things for a fire and then turn as they hear footsteps approaching them. But it was only Christopher asking for Excalibur to cut steaks. That's where they have a highly amusing conversation where they're like, Steaks? 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 Steaks. And he's like, you know, the wood pokey things. And they're like, ah, oh, ha, ha, ha. We thought you meant meat slabs. So funny. What a great conversation this is. Anyways, Christopher leaves. Not too long after that, they have a camp set up. And Senna is there, but clearly she's very reluctant to be with them. And honestly, I'm thinking she's completely justified when a second later, Christopher starts jokingly trying to talk Senna and April into a threesome. So can't blame her for this. When they do finally lay down to cross back into the real world, Julia looks over at April and it seems like she's praying. So he asks her as much and she says yes. 
And he goes, for what? She said, the same thing as when I was nine, a pony, and then dissolves into a fit of giggles. And the sound does something to Jaleel. And he thinks that sound is a prayer unto itself. And that sometimes he loves humanity. Yeah. I'm, I feel like, I feel like they have chemistry. I feel like. Same. Yeah. They're gonna date. They're gonna smooch each other. Tim, do you not want to join into our schoolyard chants? I, I, I'm going to bring it back down. And I don't, I think All we right. should just leave it high. I don't, I don't think I should talk about the fact that if they date it, one of them is definitely going to beef it. Yeah. One of them for sure is going to beef it. If it yeah. Maybe we'll date, maybe whoever dies, dies, they'll live. And then after the fact, they'll get together. This is just like. Maybe, maybe, maybe that could be good. But I, I do like the idea of science guy, spiritual girl. I don't know. It's it's they've they've had the most interesting sort of like conversations to me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that them being in a relationship could even could even make that more fun. Mm-hmm. Jaleel's right. Like the whole magic thing. Not fair. What if somehow they become the the two like not not that there's only two, but like the two lovers at Pompeii the volcano <gasps> explodes on them. They die. Oh no! I guess I just didn't. I didn't bring it down far enough for Alex. Like she had to go like yeah, like super hard into it. <laughs> like we had. I, the like, I thought we were bringing it down. Alex was like, I know. There's things yeah. we could go deeper. False bottom, motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say my little bit because oh, it's no. depressing. And Alex is like. <laughs> Amateur. That's- you want to smash that glass ceiling? I'm trying to smash that glass floor. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that movie with Gerard Butler. I think it was a Michael Where he's Crichton. Cancer? No. 300? Oh. No, no. 300? <laughs> <laughs> Rock and roll. Okay. Wait, it was Michael Crichton. I have a shot at knowing what this Ti- is. Timeline? Oh, yeah, yeah. Where they go back to France? Yeah, and mm-hmm. he and, and he's all like, "Oh, I'm the, I'm the dude. It was me because it's yeah." Anyway, spoilers for timeline. A <laughs> book that came out thirty years ago in a <laughs> shitty movie that no one wants to see. The book was also, very. Can good. I just can I just point out the fact that you spoiled absolutely nothing because I have no idea what. You... <laughs> Do you want me to some guy go watch it? timeline. Some... The movie's ruined. <laughs> some some guy goes back to France and says, "Hey." It was me. That was the whole spoiler. <laughs> no, 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 okay, I'll, I'll actually spoil the timeline. So, okay. like, okay, in the modern day time, he's, like, studying something, and there and there was, like, this dude, and he's like, oh, his ear's missing. I, I That must be significant, whatever. And, like, the, the ear-missing guy was, like, in love with the princess or whatever. And then they go back in time, and then he, he falls in love with the princess, and then he gets his ear cut off, and he was like, oh, it was me. I discovered myself. <laughs> that's a spoiler. And that's how he knew he was going to die there. Yeah. Although, like, that's pretty deep, discovering yourself, though. When you find love along the way, <laughs> you discover yourself. So, just to... I just gotta tell you guys about a weird thing that happens in my brain. Every time somebody says that's deep, I always think of Marco talking about Cassie and, like, Rachel talking about Cassie. Because there's, like, two lines that they have in different books where, like, Marco's like, she's just deep, man. And then Rachel... That in one book she goes, the girl sees deep. And like these lines just pop into my head every time somebody's like, this is really deep. And like, it's gotta be yeah, like, it's... I gotta, 
It's great. You've got anamorphitis. An inflammation of the anamorph. Yeah. Yeah. The section of your brain that holds anamorphs when <laughs> the gland gets Which is all engorged. of it. Yeah. That's the reason I can't learn anything about the moon. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, cut us some fucking slack. <laughs> Want to well, know the whole okay. history of the Howlers as far as we know? I've got you. You want to <laughs> yes. know about the moon landing? Fuck off. <laughs> okay, my Animorphs section of my brain is probably a little smaller. Like, I have room for the David trilogy and, you know, knowing that Marco is the best character. Wrong, but all right. But, like, yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff didn't make the cut, though. <laughs> like the Howlers. Big talk from a man that was killed by a hork Yeah, that's true. That's true. Who was I was that? me. I was canonically oh, killed yes, by a horse yes, yes. here. <laughs> which is the coolest thing to ever happen to anybody ever. It's pretty cool. Are you guys ready for the final chapter that we read? Yes. Yes. Not the final chapter of this book, just the final chapter we read. And also my favorite. All right. David did not let Jaleel fall asleep. He was like, follow me. Jaleel sighs and gets up and follows him off into the darkness. Why? Because they were going to see the coup hatch, and David needed someone to watch his back. They travel through the dark and the night, where it's so dark that Jaleel can't even really see his own hand in front of his face. There's a lot of weird talk about eating carrots, which is funny, because that was actually Nazi propaganda. But we'll get back to that. Like, historically, genuinely, that was a thing. Okay, Moving right along. So anyways, they're traveling along, and then something brushes past Jaleel, and he's like, oh, God, it's a vampire bat. And so he starts, like, pulling up his collar and freaking out. And David's like, hey, that was just, like, a baby coo hatch. And Jaleel's like, oh, well, okay, that's not so scary. They keep walking towards the camp, and eventually Jaleel sees a fire in the distance, or, like, a reflection of the fire, similar to how it was the last time they approached the coo hatch. And as they get towards the camp, this they walk, they just walk in. They just walk in, and immediately weird negotiations begin. And David's like, hey, are you guys a coup hatch in the battle? And they're like, some of us were presents, but we were not the ones firing. And David's like, all right, and you saved our lives? And the coup hatch were like, yeah, now you owe us. And David's like, yeah, cool. So anyways, you need some help mounting that cannon? And they're like, that would be your debt repaid. And David's like, okay, cool. What if I gave you more, like more information? And they were like, cool, then we'd be in your debt. And he's like, great ever hear of rifling on a barrel and they were like what he's like you know if you take that smooth ass barrel and you add rifling to it like in a slow circle it'll help things fly steadier and they're like we don't believe you but we'll try it david's like all right cool it'll work anyways you want me to mount this fucking cannon for you and then he just like takes his shirt off and goes all i'm a sailor boy ba goes the sheep the sheep goes boss he like ties the knots up to mount this fucking thing shirtless all night and then like leaves he's just like all right here's your cannon see you motherfuckers walks out of camp and as they're trudging back towards their own camp jaleel's like hey what's up bro and David's like, well, we need a weapon where we can just kind of sit back and send bomb after bomb into the termite mound of Kaanor's stronghold. And Jaleel is horrified, both that David is planning so far ahead because he doesn't want to be there that long and because David is planning his own personal D-Day. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's sort of... It, this is... So this whole time it feels like Senna's been like puppet mastering things. 
and we've been talking about how David's sort of like maturing and and breaking away from that. And this was like, okay, David's gone full puppet master now. <laughs> the, you know? the puppet is now the master. He's like, I will do these things and it will result in these things that I want. The strings go both ways, Senna, and now it is you who will dance. <laughs> Shit's about to get real. I am further invested in this book series than I was. Like, in each half book seri- of the series, I've been more and more quick to read the next one same honestly same and it it seems to be almost irregardless of character at this point like i i'm just as excited to read like the jaleel book as the christopher book as the david book like they're still drawing me in and like i know i know tim he gave me a look i'm not as excited for the character but for the plot and the way the world is building yes i am more and more excited with every book that i am reading yeah fair I want them to find Senna's mom, which they probably will in the second half of this book. If she has a mom. (gasps) You think she's lying? Yes, I think she's lying regularly. Yeah. (laughs) I think she's lying pretty much constantly. Yeah, like Ishu could be her mom. (laughs) Yeah, Ishu doesn't even have a lie detector built in. Nope. But yeah, I can't wait to keep reading. Same. Same, same. Oh, t- t- tell me about the carrot thing. Oh, yeah. So the the whole carrot thing was uh, propaganda that was spread just to like, just to literally try and make people think they could get better vision. Like it was like this whole like weird like mental campaign that they were running to to try and get people to eat more carrots and feel Ew. like they had better vision so that they couldn't see as well at night, but they thought they could. Like, it was a very weird campaign. Wait, so S- the whole carrots make your vision better? Think That's Nazi propaganda? It's not. I yeah, let me say. Google it real quick what so I can say this fuck? in a more logical way. I've been way. hearing that since I was a kid. I was about to say, that's still, that's still present today. I hate that. You... Yeah, World War II propaganda campaign popularized a myth that carrots help you see in the dark. Um, how a ruse to keep German pilots confused gave the vitamin A rich vegetable too much credit. Yeah, they were literally just like they put this out there because they thought like the the German pilots flying the plane would then just eat a bunch of carrots thinking they could see better, and it didn't help them at all. But like, wait, so who put it out there? The British, British government. The British put it. Okay, so it wasn't oh, Nazi it, propaganda. No, it wasn't Nazi propaganda. Okay, I misstated that massively. It uh, was okay. it was against the Nazis that the British okay. put out there. Okay. That's like, why I'm like, I have to look this up so I can actually say this correctly. Because like, the story is soup in my brain. So <laughs> was it just like a goof? Was it just like a prank? It That's was what it like, sounds like. It this- was literally something they were trying to do to like fuck with them. Like to demoralize them. Uh, this was telling Visitor 3 to bathe in grape juice. Yes. yes. After he got scuffed. Yes. This was that. That was Marco that did that, right? Was it Marco? Marco? Was it Cassie? Or no, was it yeah. Marco? Was it Cassie? I think it was Cassie. Oh. I can't remember. Imagine that. Damn. It might have been Cassie. Actually, Cassie sounds right now. That sounds like a beautiful brainchild goof of Marco and Cassie. Yeah. Yes, it, it does. Sounds, it sounds like a goof you would pull on an unpowerful god. <laughs> yeah, if you were an unpowerful god, you would tell people to eat carrots to see in the dark. And if you were an unpowerful god, you would eat carrots to see in the dark. That's true. That's yeah. true. And if you were an unpowerful god, 
you would think that you were seeing better in the dark, but you weren't. And if you were a carrot, you could see unpowerful gods better in the dark. <laughs> because you'd be in their stomachs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it took me a minute. Because <laughs> if a carrot eats itself enough, it grows eyes. The carrot Araburus. <laughs> the Caraburus. The Caraburus. The Capybaras. The Capybaras. <laughs> uh, dude, I'm doing that thing that Austin does with the, the word association <laughs> thing. Yes. It's fun. It's real fun. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. All no. right. Any any other thoughts, predictions, hopes, dreams? Oh, right. there was a wildebeest joke that I did not understand. What was it? I don't, I don't, I don't know. And I think they oh. acknowledge in in the text that it was a bad joke. It was like, like they saw wildebeest and April was like, hey, is that wildebeest? And then Christopher was like, I don't know, but I hope not. Or, or, yeah, because know. it was, it was will, will the beast. Will the beast do yeah, that? Will, will the beast, I don't know if they will. You'd have to ask them. Yeah. I don't get it. Because it was like April was saying, but will the beast do that? And Chris was like, oh, I don't know. You have to ask him if they will do that. It was not a good joke. No. <laughs> not a good joke at all. Okay. Thank you. Will the beast? Won't the beast? Why will the beast? Uh. When will the beast? <laughs> when will you wear me? <laughs> when will you wear me? What does the will the beast say? <laughs> mm. <laughs> I don't know what a will the beast sound like. You probably just moo like cows, but slightly more angry. No, it's, it's donkey. <laughs> <laughs> May I interest you in a seven-minute outro? Yeah. All right. If you want to make a wildebeest, won't the beast joke, email that to me at anonymousanimorphs at gmail.com or post it publicly so everyone can shame you probably uh, <laughs> on our Facebook group, Animorphs Anonymous, or super super, super secret, super awesome subgroup, the Andalite Bandalites, or you can tweet it at us at Animorphs Anon or Apple Grant Book Club, or find us on Instagram at Apple Grant Cast, I think, on Instagram. Is it Apple Grant Cast on Twitter? Probably. One day, I'll know this. Apple Grant Cast is what it is on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, Animorphs Anonymous on Instagram. Fucking get that joke up in our Discord server. There's probably Straight a channel up. for jokes. Channel for jokes, probably somewhere in there. You can post yeah. it anywhere because honestly, we we try to do the channel thing and we just kind of do whatever. It's a fucking wild west of discords, really. Yeah. Um, if you want to go there and and be a cowboy with us, uh, just just hit us up on any of our socials and we'll we'll issue you a hat and a vest and a holster and some chaps and you can get on in here. You got to bring your own horse though. Obviously. It's it's the Wild West. The Wild West. Wild West. Wild On your left. Oh fuck. Uh, okay. Well, listen. I'm sick of these goofs. I've had enough of the wildebeest goofs. I want to read something where there is not a wildebeest goof. Please recommend something to me. There's a place where instead of. <laughs> wildebeest and sand and terror and lions and despair there is none of that it's a comic it's called b-side 
You can read it for free at bsideyoucomic.com. You can read it for free on Tapas and Webtoons. You can read it and be like, this is great. Where else can I read this but with money attached to it to give to Casey? And that is at patreon.com slash Studios. You can get early access pages. You can get work in progress pages. You can just be fucking cool and help an artist make stuff and continue to make stuff. So do do that, maybe. So I was sitting at this place called the Stardust Diner where people were singing instead of bringing us coffee refills, um, which uh, the person we were with made very, very apparent uh, that he was very unhappy about this. Uh, uh, but I was sitting there, and, and Alex leaned over and was like, hey, are you caught up on Beside You? And I'm all like, of course I'm caught up on Beside You. And she's all like, so you've seen this? And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and she's all like, are you reading it on Patreon? And I'm like, no, I read it on Tapas. And she's like, but you're a patron. And I'm like, yeah, but it's like, it's not that far different. And she's like, oh, you're so wrong. So she she, she made me read it on Patreon. It's like a bazillion pages ahead, and it's so good. And so everybody, if you're reading Beside You, you throw some money in there and, and get caught up with the rest of us because we're super far ahead and it's so good it is so amazing and dan and i will be on the slater cast covering this in depth this week this is our special tim's live reacts where tim won't be there to live react but we'll be talking about tim's live reacts in the dan van it's only eight thousand dollars this month so throw that at casey yeah and for only, I think it was $82,000 a month, uh, Casey and Swan will be animating um, Unicorns of Balinor in the style of spirit. So mm-hmm. hit them goals, people. Patreon.com slash KCD Studios. Get Hooray, it. Get it. And then after you've done that, you know what else is amazing? All Team? The... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like i was gonna pass you the ball and then you were just like boom (laughs) no tim i what happened was you just set up a great dodgeball pass and i punched it straight into tim's face (laughs) tim talk now (laughs) Um, if you want to listen to an unpowerful god and some really talented people that hang out with him for some reason, then you can go listen to Horse Girls. Because I do that with the wonderfully talented Alex and Jenna. And the other Alex, Alpha Alex, has been hanging out with us for a little while. And and if you get in that Patreon at singlethoughtconnection.com, you can hang out with Keiki some more and listen to some Twilight stuff. It's super fun. You should do that. <laughs> and then, like, if you, like... If you if you like Pokemon, you could come hang out with us at Late Starters because we do a podcast there, and that's pretty fun. It's the three of us in Austin. It's a good time. I don't remember if I do other stuff. You do Tunnels, Haunted Hell, House of Horrors, The Way We Haunt Now, Horror Shop yeah. Radio. Those yeah. are some things. Yeah, you voice acted on all those things. I did. You did. You do. Surprise attack. Surprise attack. Yeah, and su- surprise attack book club which randomly shows up 
It do. But and it's sometimes cool. it doesn't. It's Schrodinger's surprise attack book club. Sh- Schrodinger's yes. podcast. <laughs> Schrodinger's podcast. Oh, that's, uh, that's pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. TM, TM. That's ours. <laughs> yeah, that's ours for sure. Alex. Yeah. Now you talk. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think the only thing that hasn't been mentioned yet is that I do a little Animorphs D&D show called Dungeons and Dragon Babes. And it is horrifying. The terrors of war <laughs> truly crush us every single episode. PTSD is crippling. But we fight on. We are Earth's only hope. Anyways, listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> you get you get to listen to a beloved character quote, Lizzo, if you listen far <laughs> enough. <laughs> yep. My favorite part of the show. My absolute favorite part of the show. It was delightful. Well, well. I hope. Everyone has a good week, and you're not attacked by lions or burned by the sun. But if you are, I hope it's an illusion. From an unpowerful, unpowerful. man god. <laughs>